go to our scripture reading, which comes from uh, Mark 13, beginning to read at verse 14. Mark 13, verse 14. Beginning to read then with verse 14. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetops not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of the house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe unto those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter. For in those days there will be tribulation such as has not been seen since the beginning of the creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is here, he's there, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed. See, I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, the stars of the heavens will fall, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels gather and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of the heaven. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When the branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near. At the door, assuredly, I say to you, this generation will not by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going too far to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commandment, the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening or at midnight, at the, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. Lest, coming suddenly, he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. May the Lord bless this reading to our good understanding. Uh, This passage uh, speaks to us of divine judgment. Divine judgment. That's judgment by God. And a number of things that we mm, draw from this right away is that God exists. 
that his patience and his indulgences have a termination date, that the status quo will not always be so, and that life with that, and that we ought, that we must live with a kind of uh, awareness of this and anxiety. Now, the Lord Jesus introduced this topic with the first part of this chapter where he warns the member there coming out of the temple and one of them makes an idle comment about the beauty of the temple. And just as quick as you can say, Jesus answered, it says in verse 2, Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And we talked last week about how great the temple looked in those days, how beautiful it looked in, that day, in those days, how it was not simply a, a small house that could easily be raised or broken down, but it was a, a, a really a marvel of architecture. A great stones, heavy stones, were being held in place by their weight and by the building structure, by the um, uh, geometry of the building, and it was this great building that Jesus was saying should be thrown down. Now, the people immediately understood that this was a monumental event. It was not something that would even be talked about for a few years or a decade or two decades. This was the kind of thing that was earth-shattering. The temple of the living God as it had been constructed, was going to be torn down. Who could do this? Who would be strong enough? Who had the ability to do that kind of major operation? Who? These are the things where we look and we look at our own arms and legs and we think how puny we are as individuals. How, how effete or worn out we are to tackle any great task like this. And yet, Jesus was predicting the pulling down of the temple. Very, very great event that was going to be remarkable. So he talks a little bit about that in the ensuing verses, verse 5 and following. And then in verse 14, he talks some more about it. Now, as we said last week, the disciples did not, their question their question was not really astute. It, it wasn't a sharp question in the sense that they understood what they were asking. They were asking, when would this happen, namely the, the um, pulling down of the temple, but they, they mixed that up in their minds with the final judgment, the, the judgment which comes at the end of all time. And so as you read through these passages in Mark and in Matthew and Luke, you have to take that into consideration and realize that Jesus, he's talking about judgments, but they can be the judgment of that day, uh, of which in, uh, in, verse, in verse 30, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. So he was talking about the, temp the, the, the temple being raised, but he also makes allusions to the, the, the final judgment that comes after that, which is the, the great and um, ultimate judgment. And so you just have to read through this passage and realize that there are two judgments, or at least two, because he, some of what he says here applies to all of his temporal judgments as they fall 
upon us. We think of the great judgments of the 20th century, where over 100 million people were killed. Think of that, 100 million people, a, a thousand thousands. You line up a thousand people who will die, and then you multiply that by a thousand. A thousand thousands, that's what a million equals. And there was more than a million people that were killed in the 20th century by those movements which now uh, our, uh, our university professors adore and are so fascinated with, who can't seem to find anything wrong with it, namely uh, socialism and militant socialism, sometimes called communism. Uh, this movement took place in the 20th century, and it was not a sign that God was happy with the world. We talk about the scourge of COVID, where only it has, it has the world terrified, and in America we've only had a million deaths. I think it's a million. Half a million. Thank you, charismatic congregation. Uh, We've had half a million dead, and yet we've, we've, we've stopped working. We've closed the schools for a year. Half a million. Think of a million. Think of a thousand millions. I think a, th a thousand thousands, and then multiply that by a thousand until you get a million people. God was not happy with the world. If God was unhappy with America in that he instituted a civil war amongst ourselves where hundreds of thousands of people uh, were killed. Soldiers were killed and citizens were killed. Um, how happy was he in the 20th century when uh, when a million, over a million people were, were killed all over the world? Russia, uh, China, South, Southeast Asia, South America. How happy was the Lord with us? God is angry with his people every day, the Bible says, uh, when they are disobedient to him. And there is so much disobedience that we see. So uh, God uh, has brought these judgments upon the world. And I, I emphasize these, these four points that I made to start the sermon. When you, when you think about judgments, you think about this particular judgment, you have to think of these four things. God exists. God, because he exists, he can judge the world. And he, if he says he will, he will judge the world because he exists. His existence is not just a rumor or a pretense. He exists. Number two, his patience and indulgence have a, has a termination date. Think of the days of Noah. Noah preached and warned the people of God's judgment in that day, and they dismissed it. They pretended that life was routine. They just kept to that routine. They did not allow his exhorting words to catch them up and to awaken them. And so the day came when God's patience and indulgence reached its termination date. The rain began to fall, and then water came up from under the earth, and the people were drowned, and people were uh, scraping at the side of the ark with their fingers, trying to get in, trying to get up on it, because that was the only thing that was floating uh, that could uh, save them. And uh, But they could not hang on. They could not get inside because the door was closed because God's termination date had been reached. His patience uh, had, been, had expired. 
and judgment day was here. Um, these things are such great lessons to us that the status quo is not always there. We, we, we place great confidence in the status quo. That which has happened yesterday will happen tomorrow. The weather of yesterday will roughly be the weather of tomorrow. You know, we aren't going to go from a freezing frostbite type weather to a weather that makes us sweat. You know, the, the routine of our lives just kind of carries on. And, and we as people, we are so bound to our senses and what we see and hear and smell that what we see and hear and smell on one day, we just presume that that will be the same way it is tomorrow. There might be small changes, but not big changes. And so even though we're warned to do this and that, we refrain from responding to the warning because we place so much trust in our routines and that which our senses discern. But this is a lesson to us that you cannot do that with God, that God is not bound by your routine. God can break into your routine any day, any moment that he wants. And then lastly, that, that he encourages us in these last verses to, um, he says uh, that, he, that he'll come suddenly and find people sleeping, and what, what, what I say to you, I say to you all, watch. The Lord wants us to, to live with a kind of acknowledgement of this fact, even a sense of anxiety that, uh, that we will be sleepy spiritually, ethically, morally, and be caught up by his judgment when indeed it falls. So, um, we see his further examination of this theme then in verse 14 as we pick up the verses that we read today it speaks of an abomination of desolation so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing there uh, standing where it ought not then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house nor enter or take anything out of the house Jesus uttered this drastic warning. I wonder how many people heeded him. We know that there were a great number of Christians in Jerusalem that heeded his words because the, the for the most part, the Christians escaped this Roman curse when it happened in 70 AD. And uh, they took the words of Jesus very appropriately and seriously, and uh, they fled from the house. You know, today we have, uh, we, we have a, movements that warn us about um, civil assaults and civil breakdowns and we're told to have a, a go bag by these groups and so many families uh, have prepared uh, a big bag of stuff to take in an emergency to run out the door and knowing that they will have the, the things that they really need whether it's prescriptions or weapons or money or whatever else that they'll have these uh, these bags to flee with when they're ready. Well, this is what Jesus was kind of exhorting the people to do in this day. Be ready. Watch. You do not know when I will come. Now, in this case, uh, the coming was for this uh, great tribulation, and he warns the people 
to escape before the tribulation come. This is its call. He calls it the abomination of, tri- of tribulation. And he says that it's spoken of by Daniel. We're not sure exactly where in Daniel this is uh, mentioned. There are a couple of citations in Daniel where he mentions uh, the abomination or abominations, plural, and where he mentions desolations. But an abomination is a horrible thing. It's a thing that is way above the status of an unhappy incident or something that's merely ugly. No, this is something that is absolutely and terribly bad. An abomination. An abomination would be uh, somebody breaking into a house and simply uh, exterminating or killing or executing everyone in the house, from the children to the grandparents. That would be an abominable crime. And in this case, we know what desolation is. When something is desolate, that means that uh, people are no longer there. There, It's a kind of judgment that falls, and it, it, it utterly destroys everyone that's there, so that all of a sudden you go from a population where people are in society to a place where there is no society, where there are no people, where there's a desolation that's there. Now these two things are tied together. There's an abomination that takes place and it creates a, a desolation. And we saw these sir, we saw these circumstances arise in 70 AD when Antiochus, the general, the Roman general Antiochus, um, <clears throat> Uh, came in, and uh, I'm sorry, that was uh, that was the Greek general uh, in in an earlier invasion. Uh, but uh, uh, Titus, uh, the emperor, came in in 70 A.D. and uh, destroyed the temple. But uh, so we're not quite sure exactly which one of these in Daniel is spoken of. But Daniel is very clear that there would be these great judgments which would fall. And um, a further circumstance of this is that Mark here, under the inspiration of our Lord Jesus, mentions the prophet Daniel in his book. And so we see this in the Bible where one Bible book will give warrant or certification to another book of the Bible. And in this case, Mark, the Gospel of Mark, certifies that the, scroll, the Daniel scroll, the scroll of the prophet Daniel, it certifies that Daniel was a true prophet, and it certifies that the scroll of Daniel deserved to be considered scripture. So these things are of great moment and considered to be great truth. Now, in this case, we see when the, the people are told that when they see the circumstances that would, would scare them enough to make them think that this abomination of desolation was appearing. And in, in the case of the great armies, both the Greek army that first came and uh, destroyed part of the temple, then the Roman army, which did this uh, this time in 70 AD, when the people saw the armies, the armies were not um, supposed to come into the temple area at all. So when they saw the armies threatening to come into the temple, or when they saw the army actually coming into the temple, what happened under Emperor Titus is that he he commanded the army to go into the temple, and they actually set up a Roman sacrifice in the temple. So they burned uh, incense, and they made 
animal sacrifices to the God of Rome. They are in the holy temple of the Lord. And so we can see how that would be an abomination. It would be idolatry, not just idolatry in the world, not just idolatry out on the streets, but in this case it would be idolatry in the very heart of God's church, in the very heart of the temple. And so our Lord Jesus warned them that when they saw the spectacle of this kind of thing drawing near, not to not to think about running then or fleeing, but to but to have their go bag ready and to go immediately, not even to come down from the roof. In old Jerusalem, you could run along the rooftops and one house was connected to the next. You could run along the rooftops away from the threat as it approached. And so Jesus encourages his people to take him that seriously. Don't go down. Don't take anything from your house. Let him who is the field in the field um, run and not go back to his house to get his clothes. And he says in verse 17, Woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days. Why is that? It's because you're especially vulnerable yourself as a mother, and your children are especially vulnerable. Woe unto them who are pregnant and having little babies in that, that day. I pray that your flight may not be in winter, for in those days there will be tribulation such as not been, has not been seen since the beginning of the creation which God created until the, until this time. And we know that um, this was a time of great tribulation. People were even reduced to cannibalism to stay alive. It was a time when Israel was being erased in a certain sense from the world. And when you think that this was God's own chosen people and that Israel was God's own choice, it raises up the judgment of the spectacle to a memorable level. It's not just a temporary, temporal judgment, but it's something that was a great, a great judgment in indeed. And uh, um, we think of how um, uh, we think of our own day. And how we're we're civic, we're witnessing a civil breakdown in the land. Um, fathers and mothers are worrying about the next generation, about how great this judgment will be. We're we praying that God would mitigate the civil unrest and and uh, uh, draw it to a close. But at this point, our leaders aren't even really concerned about them. They're acting as if it's the status quo, as if it's routine, as if there's nothing to worry about. They're acting as if it's not even a crisis. Think about the border. Think about the Texas border. Think about if you had a farm that was near this border and people are coming through, desperate people with guns uh, who have no love for you. And, and think about you. You'd think, well, it won't the government help us? No, the government is causing the problem. It's like the government, the national government, cares nothing about the peace of Texas or its neighborhoods. Think of the carelessness, the callousness of that kind of a government. That's what we have today. So that even as uh, our leaders talk about it being a day of love and friendship and 
how everybody cares and we're all working together. They aren't even working together to protect our borders from people coming. They, they tell us you can't do this, you can't do that because of COVID. But yet they don't care at all how many thousands of people come across the border with COVID. You see this kind of indiscretion, this kind of contradiction. And you realize that there can be times of social breakdown like this where uh, it is very, very dangerous. And Jesus spoke of just that kind of thing um, in, in this day. He says in verse 20 that, uh, that except the Lord had shortened this time, that no one would have survived. But he says the Lord did shorten this time of judgment, and he says for the sake of the elect. Some people some people come to the Bible and they say, the Bible doesn't teach anything about election. Uh, the, the Bible teaches that we have free will, and that that free will is ultimately determinative of reality. Well, free will does work according to reality. Free will is one of the ingredients of our reality, but free will does not control itself in the sense that it is, has absolutely absolute power to do whatsoever it wishes. Uh, many times people are addicted to the, this thing and that thing, and they realize how little free will that they have. And uh, in this case, the, this verse teaches us, it throws out the idea of the elect as just a throwaway, as a casual thought. Uh, does the Bible teach the doctrine of election? You better believe it does. If it throws out a kind of casual use of the word like this. But here Jesus says that for the sake of the elect, that the days of this judgment would be shortened. Um, he says in verse 21 to watch out for the people who say that, that Christ is here, that there's the coming of Christ uh, is here because of these judgments. Uh, who do signs and wonders. And he says, no, when you see civil unrest like this, when you see someone coming who could break down the temple and raise it into the dust, uh, don't believe when there are those who say, I am the deliverer, I am the Messiah, I've come to save you, follow me. Don't believe them. And so it is when there are apocalyptic events, there are many people who will rise up. But unless their cry is congruent with the word of God written, which has stood the test of time. Our Lord would say, don't pay any attention to them. And then in verse 24, trying to um, graphically show how tumultuous this judgment will be, it says, in those days, the, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers in heaven will be shaken. Um, um, and uh, we see that there are warnings like this in Zephaniah, the first chapter, and Isaiah, the 13th chapter, the 10th, 10th verse and 34th verse. There are many other warnings in the Bible uh, where God uses meteorological events or cosmic events to, show, to tell us, to use these as metaphors or pictures to say, that the tumult of these days would be so great that um, it would be as if the, the sun didn't shine anymore and the moon didn't shine, the stars were knocked out of their orbits. And so uh, sometimes these things uh, literally have come to pass when our Lord Jesus was crucified, the sun was darkened, 
and it was as night fell upon the land. Um, so these things can either happen literally or figuratively, but God is saying this is, uh, this is the horror of these times. Now people just do not grasp the centrality of the existence of Israel when they dismiss these things. They don't realize how important Israel was for redemptive history. They don't realize the, the uh, significance of God's grace in raising up Israel as a nation. This was a totally significant event so that when Israel came crashing down, as it did in this day, God considered a monstrous event, something that all people should have taken cognizance of, even though they didn't. Uh, he mentions here the fig tree. I won't go into that de deeply, but just when trees are about to bud, they give off signs. You can scrape the bark and you see green, real heavy green underneath the bark. And you know that that, that plant is ready to give bloom. Um, and uh, so God says, when you see these signs, just know that one thing is going to lead to another. Um, it also says in verse 30 that this generation would not pass away before these things happen. That is, as Jesus was speaking to his disciples, he says that generation would not pass away until these things happen. And indeed, um, that was roughly um, 33 AD, in the year of our Lord, 33. And 35 years later, just 35 years later, uh, this great judgment fell upon Jerusalem. And the Roman armies came and, uh, and drove the people out of Israel out after a great assault upon them, killing many of them, kill, uh, disgracing them. Then it began the work of dismantling the temple, utterly showing the wrath of the emperor of Rome upon these people who had been so unruly and uh, had pressed the patience of the Roman emperor to the end line. And so they came in with devastation. He wreaked havoc upon this people. And Jesus says in this case that that would take place before this generation passes away. So there are some judgments in this passage that did not take place before that generation passed away. There were some that did. And um, he wants us to realize that the, the ones that related to that, that day were the ones that took place. And the raising of the temple, this knocking down of the temple, where these great, huge stones were displaced and went tumbling down to the ground, um, that was part of what God had ordained as a judgment upon Israel uh, in that day. And uh, speaking of the judgment, this judgment that was to come, and then it relates to all other future judgments, God says to us that we don't really know the day and the time of judgments to fall. As a nation today in America, we, we, we see signs of certain judgments that are taking place in our land, but uh, we don't know when that, will, when that will come to pass. These people that are out on the street rioting, how foolish can they be? They think that the routine of today is going to be the routine of tomorrow. Believe me, brothers and sisters, there will come the day. I'm prophesying this just by worldly, worldly logic and what I've seen in this world. There will probably come the day where... These rioters will be fired upon and there will be deaths in the street because they have pressed one day too far. They've had 
one riot too many. They have burned one building too many. And suddenly, this government, which is utterly indulgent right now to seemingly whatever they do, all of a sudden this judgment, this, this government will come down on them with a kind of fury. And many people will lay dead in the streets after that kind of day. No one knows when these kinds of judgments fall. No one knows when the return of our Lord will take place. Um, and uh, so, verse 31, our Lord says to watch. Now, this, uh, this exhortation, this warning about judgment, this exhortation to watch ought to be part of our daily mentality as Christians. We know that God does exist. He's given us certain commands. We know that his patience and his indulgences uh, do have a, a due date when they will run out. Uh, we do know, we've seen it happen in the Bible, that the status quo often changes, whether it's the raising of the temple in 70 AD or the flood of Noah in his day. We know that despite the fact that life goes on routine day after day, that God has a time when his judgment does fall. And God does not warn his people without cause or without reason. He wants the elect to know and to be aware of how these things can happen. And that they can't put their faith in routine. They've got to put their faith in him. And so, obviously, we, as the people of God, we must watch, we must be aware for not only the final judgment, when we will have no more time to repent or make these little plans that we think we can make to straighten out our lives, where the day will close and there will be no more time. Let us watch for that judgment. Let us watch for other temporal judgments which fall upon us, knowing what we know the word of God. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we pray that we might be aware of all that thou dost say here. We pray that we would not be confused. We pray that we might know that thou canst bring temporal judgments down upon our lives at any time. But yet they are temporal and measured compared with that final judgment which shall come in which we, if we have not Christ, we will be utterly disconsolate. We will be desolated. There will be an abomination in our lives, and we shall be the abomination that stands before the awful wrath of God as his hot anger pours down upon us, as the burning brimstone falls upon us, as we are consumed in terms of our senses and our flesh and our pain, as we are consumed by the mighty wrath of God that falls upon us. Oh God, we pray that thou wouldst awaken us and push us and prompt us in our lives today that we might be ready, that we would have our devotions, that we would have our cultivated relationship with thee all developed in our hearts and our minds. Oh, Lord, help us not to leave things left undone until tomorrow. Help us to do them today. Help this Sabbath day to be a day where we repent. 
Help this Sabbath day, O Lord, to be the day whereby we awaken ourselves and bring ourselves from our routines into thy routine. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.